We take a single episode of a science fiction TV series and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. This is the Fusion Patrol Podcast. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Simon. And tonight we're going to be looking at the first episode of the 1974 TV series, Coljack the Night Stalker, following on from the uh, TV movies that we uh, looked at previously. A series of murders rocks Chicago. Carl Kolchak now working for the Independent News Service, has been dressed down by his long-suffering boss, Tony Vincenzo. Kolchak impersonated a police commissioner to get a story, and now he's being punished by being assigned to the Miss Emily advice column for a week. Financial reporter Ron Updike is assigned to the gruesome murders. Kolchak, however, still manages to get to the scene of a police chase and witness the Ripper jump from a four-story building and smash up a whole contingent of armed police officers. Kolchak's friend, Jane Plum, a reporter for another paper, has received a letter from the Ripper which the police are treating as real because it mentioned eating kidney pie. The kidney had been removed from the latest victim in a piece of information withheld from the public. Kolchak attempts to be at the scene of the next murder but is arrested for lewd propositioning a police officer. The Ripper tries to strike again and escapes once more. Kolchak is worried about Jane. She's interviewing people claiming to be the Ripper, one of whom is in Wilton Park. Kolchak remembers a Miss Emily letter about a creepy man with X-ray eyes living in Wilton Park, and he rushes to chase down the lead. He finds the house of the killer and is cornered. But then he escapes, but not before finding the dead body of Jane and then electrocuting the villain. Nothing remains but a 70-year-old shoe. Kolchak decides not to write the story. So I'll just say, and we mentioned it in the, in the earlier podcast, for me, the introduction to Carl Kolchak and the Night Stalker was at this point. It wasn't until years later that I found out that there were movies made upon it. So this was just a TV show that came on and... At age 10, apparently, or actually I would have been age 9 when this aired, but, but close, um, I was uh, either allowed or just passively ignored to be able to watch uh, <laughs> in, the, uh, in the evenings. So, um, so this is, you know, my, my take on Carl Kolchak as opposed to, and we can discuss this, whether he's different than he was in the movies. But um, anyway, so I'll start with you. The Ripper. What um, What did you think? Well, he's much more successful, I suppose, than he was in the movies, uh, in the sense that at least he's not run out of town this time. True. <laughs> I mean, he still screws everything up, you know, almost gets arrested and fails to file a story, but that all seems to be par for the course. And, and you know, it's, it's funny, at the beginning they mentioned that this has been the subject of uh, novels, uh stage play, an opera, a movie, and then he's purporting to be telling the real story to us. And I was unclear whether he was saying that these particular killings in Chicago were the subject of those things, or whether he was talking about the legend of Jack the Ripper. I assumed he was talking about the legend of, of Jack the Ripper, but it didn't, it didn't become 
clear straight away, so it is confusing. I mean, uh, the, is... The, the, connection, the connection was something that he developed during the course of the story, but in the voiceover... See, this is the, this is the thing that... I wish they ditched the voiceover. The voiceover annoyed me. I think I complained about it when we talked about the uh-huh. movies. I wish they ditched it for the TV show. There's not much of it here, um, uh, at least. You can, you can say that. But the problem is, you, he, you don't get the sense of what he knows when he's telling you the stuff. He, he's basically the omniscient narrator there. I mean, you don't. You, pr- part of the problem is you never actually see him doing any investigative work. So he presents this series of facts to you during the voiceover at the beginning. Okay, well, you know, how did you find that out? How do you know that? What's your source? You know, is it witness testimony? Have you got anything to corroborate that? Etc. 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 You just get, you know, here here's the story. And in this case, the particular problem with that is Kolchak, at the beginning of the story, doesn't know that this guy has anything to do with the Ripper or, you know, that the other incidences are connected. And that's something that gets developed later on. Mm. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll accept that. And I'll, I'll, um, I mean, I don't, the, the narration doesn't bother me when it comes to uh, setting up the murders because it's a very quick and expedient way just to let you know that this girl, it, it, it does have that, so it, it gives you a little bit of the sort of cynical, smart alecky character that he is because of the, I don't say quippy, but perhaps callous comments that he makes about them, you know, Jane, whatever, eight, five foot nine, liked to, wanted to get ahead in her career. She should have just hoped she was going to survive kind of kind of thing. It, it gets those murders in and out of the way fairly quickly. But is it, I mean, apart, is from, it the, apart from the fact no. that, stuff, it, that stuff irritates me. Well, it's not, it's not just that it's not necessary. It's, he's, set, he's setting the scene. Here, you know, here's the background to the story. But at that point, he doesn't know anything about these murders. So why, you know, why couldn't they just frame it slightly differently so that at at the opening of the story, he's discovering he's discovering about the killer. So he's, you know, he's either he's either being told about it or he's telling someone else about it or I don't know. Is, is it? I I don't want to use because it's a, it's an overused thing in some films these days where they start the story where the bedraggled hero is uh, dragging himself into town, beaten, bloodied, and and you don't know what happened. And then they tell the whole thing through flashback, building up to that point where he drags himself into town at the end. I mean, that, that's been a more common thing over the last few years. And I kind of feel like this is a, a variation. Because he doesn't well, tell is, you be- enough at the beginning to really know what's going on. I mean, he can start no. off by saying, I'm going to tell you about actually what happened with Jack the Ripper. And, and then that does spoil it. So he is kind of setting it up. He's not really telling you anything at all, except that this is a really sensational set of murders that I'm about to tell you about. And yeah. then he recounts yeah. it. And, and it's a hangover from, you know, in the first movie where he'd written a novel about it and what we were hearing was the novel. And so obviously he's setting it up in a way that's designed to, to grab the reader and, yeah, that 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 makes some kind of sense because obviously in a novel you know you you get the author's voice and so they've translated that to television hmm. 
fair enough. Didn't work for me. Now it's just it's getting I'll, in the way. I'll tell you what doesn't work for me, and this is something that I feel. And again, we I'm sure <clears throat> that we will have a few fair and unfair comparisons between this and the X-Files, just simply because, as stated elsewhere, Chris Carter said this was very influential on his wanting to do Kolchak right, which the implication is is that Kolchak was done wrong. And in many ways, you know, X-Files 10 years, Night Stalker 1, is a, you know, a, a fair uh, a, a fair assessment. It, well, it, X-Files it, yeah. doesn't give names to episodes, and even if you did know the aim of the name of the episode, you'd have no clue what was going on. But I'm sorry. The opening credits, first scene, The Ripper, is terrible. It's a terrible name that just tells you right – I mean, The Ripper isn't quite as bad as, say – and I'm jumping the line here – the next episode where the title is The Zombie. You're like – Really? <laughs> couldn't couldn't we discover that? Yeah. Couldn't couldn't we watch it as as Kolchak puts the pieces together and we learn that this is Jack the Ripper as we go? You don't have that in the Night Stalker. You know the the the, the, the movie the pieces come together fairly early that clues that it's a vampire, but you know the the title doesn't give that away. And neither really does the Night Strangler. But in this one, where you get to the episode title, it's like, it's the Ripper. Oh, I'm guessing it's, you know, there are no other. There is just Jack the Ripper. So, sure. I, the, I, the, 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 X, the X-Files does this right. And the comparison is there because of the, because of the Chris Carter interest. Right. But apart from that, I am, you know, as someone who's not seen the whole of Kolchak, um, you know, third story in... I'm struggling to get where the comparison comes from because, yeah, okay, the Night Strangler, there is a a, a kind of slightly X-Filesy story in there. But otherwise, what the the X-Files tends to do is take some kind of uh, phenomenon and, as you say, unravel it. You know, you, you, you put the pieces together and the interest is in how how something like this how something apparently uh, supernatural would actually would actually work and you've I mentioned it before but you've got the kind of scientific dimension with Scully's background in there now in this one what the hell was what the hell was this actually about you got I, yes you got a, a a criminal so obviously it's the ripper and i'm thinking okay it's the ripper and so you get a story where you have someone who is uh, killing and why is it always you know third one it's always the there are multiple female victims who all work in the um uh, pleasure industry entertainment industry yeah shall we say and and so and so so you get that and you get that this is this is a, a criminal but why why is it supernatural oh well the reason it's supernatural is because oh yeah again we've got basically a superhuman who all the police are shooting at and who is just running around and not being affected by their bullets okay well we've seen that a couple of times before but what's the take on it this time there isn't mm-hmm. one there isn't one there is no, no I, explanation whatsoever yeah i th- this has got a um okay so i'm gonna i'll play devil's advocate here that's a later ep- episode um but uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> I wish I was kidding. And uh, actually, that's not true. It's the devil's platform. But anyway, um, assuming, as, as I pointed out, this was the first time I ever saw it. So this is not the third retread of the exact same story to me when I watch it. And, and I suspect that's true with a lot of people because uh, television series get or used to get a lot more buildup in the weeks coming to a to them starting, whereas TV movies did not. They got maybe a couple weeks advance notice, so people would see the commercials. So yeah, yeah, fair enough. I, I said, fair enough. So they're trying to yet again, and I think that's a flaw. Recreate the exact same formula retooled for television retooled for episodic television and we can talk about whether or not there was that was made any sense at all but so yeah they've they've come up with this sort of incredibly formulaic compared to the last two uh movies i'm i as i said before i'm not convinced this is a formula it's actually literally just the same story again and again and I, I perfectly understand that they're much more interested in the new audience than they are in the recurring audience for the last two stories. But couldn't they have done a, a, an establishing opener that still brought all the new people in, but told a different story? I mean, anything else would have done. <laughs> I would, I, I would, uh, yeah, I would agree. Um, I, I, I agree. <laughs> it's like, I, I don't disagree. I didn't really see i mean i'm gonna i'm gonna call it formulaic but you're right it's the same plot line pretty much through through and through uh change name but there are some differences and i'll i'll go into them for example with the vampire it kind of makes sense because the vampire mythology is he likes to drink the blood of women he has to be out at night Las Vegas is open all the time, and they've got lots of prostitutes who, frankly, are less missed. I mean, that's a that's a pretty common uh, theme, even in real-life crime. Even in Jack the Ripper, the real one, many of the women, if not all of the women, that he actually killed were prostitutes. It's... You know, it's a it's a class of people that fewer people miss and they're out in places they probably shouldn't be. And they're doing things with strangers that, you know, perhaps wouldn't be prudent if you were uh, a little more concerned about your safety. So, I mean, it's a, it, it kind of makes sense that he would be out killing prostitutes uh, or or late night shift workers at, at Vegas casinos. And um, so I'm. I'm good there, and all of it fits. You know, like, drink blood, do the thing. Jack the Ripper does not make any sense. I mean, okay, if you took the real Jack the Ripper, he kind of doesn't make any sense anyway. But but, but it's he... not a supernatural problem. Right, That's it's not so a supernatural problem. He's it. nut. And in here, he's still doing the same things. He's writing crazy notes and sending them into the paper like, hey, catch me, I'm crazy. And then he just – and he's moving on very, very quickly. Um, in fact, it confused the heck out of me in the episode because we start off with a murder in Milwaukee, the the stripper, and um, then we pick up in Chicago. And at some point, Carl says, "Well, you know, he's got he's got two more murders to meet his five. And I'm like, "We've seen four murders. We saw the last murder in Milwaukee, but they don't tell us that either. And and why five? 
Yeah, why five? And so he's... I mean, at least he, in The Night Strangler, that, that pattern had some kind of explanation, however silly it was. It, it, it doesn't make sense that this guy is, is kills five people in Milwaukee, and then a month later, or less than a month later, I, I didn't check the dates, but it wasn't very long apart. It's all within 1974. Um, he's in Chicago killing five more, and then Kolchak is revealing that there's... 70 murders since Jack the Ripper, which was 1888 there in 1974. So, you know, less than 100 years and we have all these murders. And it seems like each time this guy leaves uh, leaves notes at the scenes of the crime written in the victim's blood and, and sends in letters to the newspapers as if he's as if he's trying to get caught. Or, or is he trying to taunt the police and he just has no imagination whatsoever? He's just going to keep taunting the same things over. I, it, no, it, it, it's all, it totally that's all doesn't kind make any sense. Standard TV serial killer stuff as well. Yes. So where's the... Well, the, but they all come from Jack the Ripper. I mean, like, I, and I'm, saying that, I'm not saying they are all Jack the Ripper, but I mean all TV serial killers are just the the progeny of the horror of Jack the Ripper in the popular culture. So, Well, I can certainly understand what, the influence, but to yeah. the best of my knowledge, Jack the Ripper was a mortal human being. So yes. I'm, I'm still not getting, you know, whether it's Jack the Ripper, standard serial killer type story. It, just the fact that it's actually the original Jack doesn't answer anything it raises no. more questions than than it's it resolves so well don't you like that what? though i mean i'm sure we've had that discussion where you like not all the mysteries to be answered by the end of a story <laughs> here's one that well, nothing is yeah, but nothing makes sense in this it i like really it to be doesn't. a decent mystery though <laughs> all right, fair enough <laughs> fair enough that i Yes, I in watching through this, looking at it in the you know the critical mindset, I'm just thinking it's like, wait, this just doesn't make any sense. Why this guy, who apparently can live forever and is immune to everything but electricity, and continues to kill, why he would then continue to taunt the police every time, and and if he was really trying to taunt the police, why does he move on to another city? I mean, if he thinks he's basically immune, why not just continue killing in the same place and keep taunting but the police? I, I, don't, I don't get the motivation at all here of, of the character. And then there's the supernatural element of it. So, well, But that, the problem is they're two separate things. And understanding the motivation of the character could be, could be an interesting story in its own right, but it wouldn't have anything to do with the supernatural. You're purely trying to unpick the psychology of the serial killer but when and and so you know those those are the questions all those questions about why does he write the notes why does he taunt the police why does he move from city to city that's all about what's going on in the mind of this serial killer but then you layer on top of that well hang on he's not just a serial killer he's a supernatural serial killer it doesn't help to answer any of those questions it doesn't make any of those questions any more interesting it doesn't add another dimension to them it just takes it off at a tangent and mm -hmm. then we've got a load of questions about okay so why is he supernatural how is he supernatural why does electricity kill him how can he 
take steel doors off cells. All that stuff, which has no relation to all of the questions about why he writes notes, why he taunts the police, etc., 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 but which we also don't get any answers to. Not even speculation. No. That Kolchak doesn't even... I mean, he doesn't even say, well, you know, I met this killer once in Seattle that uh, had to consume a certain substance from his victims to continue his long life. Maybe this guy has to eat a kidney and then... He doesn't even he doesn't yeah. even try that. So, yeah, yeah, no, I was I was very unsatisfied. Uh, it, there, there's a, a remarkable activity or a clarity and a difference that comes to your mind when you watch a TV show and take notes than if you're just watching it. And and I I was uh, genuinely surprised at how utterly. I don't want to say nonsensical because it's a supernatural story and therefore it's going to be kind of nonsensical to begin with. But yeah, no, it really is a poor choice to turn Jack the Ripper into an immortal killer. And yeah, then, yeah, and uh, yeah, it's, it just it, doesn't. It's, it's like they need. OK, so I've argued there isn't a formula, but in so much as there is a formula, what the formula actually seems to be is a, a, a load of night filming, starting with. Uh, murdering some uh, prostitutes or dancers of some sort, uh, having a few chases with uh, an essentially superhuman uh, perpetrator who is immune to, to police bullets, and then having a showdown in a creepy house, another creepy house, and then uh, yes, yes. Kolchak being unable to file his story and usually being drummed out of town, but not... Not in this case. I mean, we presume he must have been drummed out of New York because that's where he was going last time. But <laughs> that's uh, right. possibly, that's right. possibly he's going to be able to stick around in Chicago for episode two. I don't know. Well, that's spoilers. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, don't tell me. But let there yeah, be at he, least some suspense. He, he and Vincenzo form this team that travel around the country. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. And he did. Well, of course, in this episode, there's no, th as far as I can tell, there's no threat. Well, okay, so there's a, a threat that he burned down a house and there could be arson charges. But he clearly makes the decision at the end of the story to tear up his story that he's writing. Yeah. And just go, yeah, no one's going to believe it. Yeah. I so am starting to wonder how he pays for his hats because, frankly, I don't understand why anyone would employ him. I mean, he never, see, he never seems to actually successfully file a story. He manages to piss off everyone who works with him. He manages to piss off all of his fellow journalists and all of his potential sources, especially the police department. Okay, okay. but now, okay, I will, I'll, in his defense, and I'm not saying... Remember how I, I kind of said during the, the movies that my impression was that Kolchak was a good reporter? Yeah. And, and then... Upon our discussing it and and your points, uh, your points were completely taken. He was not uh, doing a whole heck of a lot of reporting himself <laughs> or no, investigative well, work. So he was he was doing very poorly. And now we come into this episode, and it's it's that dialogue between Vincenzo and Kolchak at the beginning, where he's going over Kolchak's methods of getting the story on the bank robbery yesterday. So we know he works on regular investigative stories. We know he'll go to ridiculous lengths to get that story. 
Yeah, and okay. He, he, I have to he, assume he that he does actually story. turn in the story. Yeah, he he filed one story that I guess got published, and in the course of it, he managed to completely alienate the Chicago Police Department. But why not? Because he'd done the same in every other town that he'd visited. But it, it, there does seem to be an underlying. Uh, implication here that when Kolchak is doing other stories he does get them whereas yeah okay I think the real problem here is is as I mentioned we don't actually see him doing any of the investigation we see we we hear him rabbiting the facts in the voiceover but we don't actually see him interviewing anyone or or obtaining the facts what he mostly actually seems to do for work is go and hang around police shootouts uh, with a tiny little flashbulb <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, he's still got that he's still got that silly little camera of his. Uh and yeah, the photographer tells produce... him <laughs> and still he goes off and, and continues to use it and, and will I think continue to continue to use that thing. That's that is the last piece of the famous Kolchak kit is that the hat, the clothes, the tennis shoes, and that particular camera is is basically his uniform uh in in uh mystery having, so. having having said all that i will say that he is a teeny teeny bit more competent in this one in the sense of actually pretending to try to get on with vincenzo you know doing the doing the aunt emily stuff and i i was i was about to make a note about all the you know another round of shouting and then he does his life is hard enough without all that nasty arguing bit mm. yeah yeah okay fair enough in truth he's not being uh very genuine about it but at least he is quieter yeah he well and and he's showing it 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 might be a bit sociopathic but he's showing what he's he's showing he understands what he's expected to do and then trying to conform to that a bit and when and when he wants the the uh letter that jane plum has been sent he turns on the charm and starts trying to to sweet talk her even though the voiceover where he says that she's fat proves that he's a complete and utter something i you know that was i i I have notes on that that is that is not only incredibly awful the way he says it the fact is that actress is not no exactly She's, she's a little plump perhaps but she is certainly not fat and she is certainly not heavy enough to eat six meals a day as he points out and you could think that's an exaggeration but when she sits down at that diner and orders enough food for three people and then tacks on a piece of pecan pie at the end you go did they just cast this badly should they have just hired a woman who was another 200 pounds larger so that yes it would be horrible for kolchak still to call her that but at least I don't know. She might have just had. A, she might have had a fast metabolism. I could have I, I, ignored that stuff, and I'm not fat. But if you did it six times a day, <laughs> well, we've See, only got Kolchak's word for that. That I can I can even remember that from watching it when I was younger. Thinking when he calls her fat, I'm thinking she's not that fat. I mean, she's not. I, I would not call her fat. There are people she's not who skinny, are. So she's not skinny. No, she's definitely not a model thin, but she's not. It's a, it's a subjective judgment. She's not obese, which is an objective right. judgment. But yeah. Kolchak feels the need to have a dig 
I think I think that's what it tells you. It doesn't tell you anything about her. It it just reveals the fact that there is, there is this fellow reporter from whom he needs a story, so who he is going to charm, but he's going to have a dig at her. He's he's just yeah, going and, through and emotions. Also, also knowing here's another thing: knowing that she's dead, because if he yeah. is the omniscient narrator in the future, yeah, he is. The way he introduces her and talks about her, he is not revealing to us that that you know he has any remorse that she's dead, yeah, or that he cared. And I kind of got the impression that he did, that that he did consider her to be a friend at, at some level, even though yes, he was whining and dining her to to get the story out of her. I think they both knew where they stood with each other, but. I just kind of got the impression that, you know, he she was a, a professional colleague from a rival and they had cordial, if not vaguely friendly uh, relations uh, there. And so I'm disappointed they killed her. Yeah. Yeah. I, because well, that's, I an, was. that's another thing about this. This episode versus the movies is they're clearly setting up the little INS news family. Mm hmm. Yeah, Vincenzo, I mean, we're we're going to get uptight in every episode. Don't tell Is me. That spoilers. A spoiler, I think. <laughs> we might even meet Miss Emily at some oh point when God. she comes back from vacation. Um, but uh, you know, th- we had the photographer guy who works there at the at the lab. Go. What, what did he tell him to do? Go play with your pimples. That was pretty nasty too. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I mean, they they set that up. Uh, and I'm playing devil's, not devil's advocate, but I'm just kind of throwing it out here. We have a police chief. I mean, we're in Chicago. He's police chief. Kolchak deals with crimes. We can assume that we're going to encounter the police chief again. Well, all, uh, all of this is assuming that he doesn't get run out of town at the end of the next episode, because I'm pretty much expecting that, as usual MO. <laughs> I... I guess i should go so far as to say is that he is he is based out of that ins chicago office well they built a set i suppose <laughs> yes they built a set and apparently they had some stock footage i don't know if they used it in this episode but there there used to be an independent news service and i, I apparently there was stock footage of a train going past that building and they used that at great length in the in the course of the the series um whenever they're in the office there. So uh, I don't know which, which came first. Was it the, the stock footage? And then they decided, oh, we'll just call it the INS and go on. I'm not sure, but anyway. So, yeah, I mean, and you, I would say you kind of have to do that in a TV series that just Kolchak and Vincenzo might just not work. I agree. They, I agree. They Which need is... to have some more people, and so I'm very upset about Jane because it seemed like that would be a perfect sort of rival newspaper kind of because uh, she clearly was not afraid to go after a dangerous story herself. Yeah, I so, I, it, like, I I agree entirely. I I think that Kolchak actually appeared to be at least warming up to her, and she seemed like a a good fun character. And I, 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 I agree. I think they need to set these characters up for the TV series, but they don't seem to get it. They, ki- they kill off uh, Jane Plum, and they set up a load of characters in the first TV movie that I thought mm. would have been quite 
interesting, and the only one that they carry over is Vincenzo, who hadn't stuck in my mind except as someone who shouted back when Kolchak shouted a lot, which wasn't particularly exceptional, so didn't stick in my mind that much. Now, the part that that gets me, and obviously episodic television in the US in the 70s, I'll, I'll clarify that, was not known for its memory from one week to the next. Right. But still, these events seem like they, or the events of the two previous movies, seem like they should have shaped both Kolchak and Vincenzo. You know, you you would think Vincenzo would be like, Kolchak, I hate it that you keep coming up with this stuff, but we we talked about the fact that in The Night Strangler, I had expected because Vincenzo was in it, the reason Kolchak would be brought into the story would be because Vincenzo would go, well, Kolchak's someone who has experience with this kind of reporting, who, you know, believes this stuff or who will... break the bounds of of conventional thinking there. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But uh, they, yeah, they don't appear to... And neither of them appears to... Neither of them appears to have that here either. So my question is... Are we supposed to be ignoring the two movies? You know, sometimes they do a pilot and they sell a pilot and then they start the TV series and they pretty much ignore the pilot. And then later on, they throw it out there to show people what it was like so that because it's a cheap episode, they don't have to they don't have to pay for again. And it's always jarring because of the changes they make from the pilot into the actual production run of the of the show. And I'm just wondering if they were thinking along those lines with the movies said, well, we'll just set them up again. There are two guys who work together and Kolchak comes across this murder. And, and so they've toned him down a bit. They've toned it all down a bit. The, the antagonism with the police has been turned down. The, the getting run out of town and getting arrested and framed for murder and, and the decibels of the screaming has been toned down Good. a bit. Yeah, I know. I agree. I agree. It was those the two movies in particular. The second one were incredibly shouty, and yes. uh, I, I I'm sure there is shouting to come, but I don't think it ever reaches the the levels that we had in the in particularly the second movie. Um, so you know, I th- I think they've tweaked it a little bit and gone on. I just think now that. Picking the Ripper was an incredibly poor um, choice, and I'm yeah. guessing they couldn't do a vampire because there would be people who remembered the movie and would be even more inclined to go. Really, <laughs> you're I, on I, number three, and you're already on a vampire. You know, so I'd have been I'd have been inclined to think it was a lot better to do a vampire than what they did. I. I think it would have been a made a more sensical story because a vampire truly is a supernatural killer. Yeah. And Jack the Ripper is just a crazy madman that who, you know, there have been lots and lots of crazy madmen killing people throughout throughout history and since then and we've had quite a few serial killers and yes, some of them do crazy things to kind of try to get caught or try to demonstrate their superiority or or whatnot, but none have captured the imagination like Jack the Ripper, probably because they never caught him. You know, I think it's yeah. it's because just the, the murders stopped and then yeah. 
I, 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 I agree. I agree there is an interest there, but I'm not sure that that is what they started with in this episode. It, mo- it more feels like what they started with is we need a, uh, a, a male antagonist with a cape and a cane, uh, you know, who hangs around at night because that's the style that we've had with the others you know they've all they've all been they they've all been long lived and they've all been on their own mm-hmm. and so they must have been casting around for for where can we go with this i can only hope that you know as the tv series goes on they don't try and do the same thing with every single episode because I'm starting to worry now after three, three um, of the same. <laughs> These three episodes have been uh, um, just absolutely cookie cutter. I was thinking it, uh, thinking it long, but I was thinking it when he was running across the rooftops and they're all blasting yep. away with his guns. And I was thinking, no wonder, no wonder uh, foreign countries think we're super gun crazy in the United States. I mean, there's a gun crazy part, but the police are not actually doing running gun battles in the streets, uh, by and large, uh, unless, you know, some some poor black teenager stole a piece of bubble gum somewhere or, or, or didn't, just happened to be chewing some bubble gum and looked like maybe it had come from a store or something, and so they want to gun him down. But, I mean, apart from that, uh, you know, it, it just... The the gunfire that was going on in that scene, they was probably ridiculous. even in those cases don't <laughs> fire quite as many times. Or like like the officer who was running along with a pistol, waving a pistol in the air and occasionally firing off a few shots at the rooftops. Yeah, but presumably not too they, they certain shot about all the other whether cops he, up yeah, there. exactly. <laughs> How could he have seen uh, four four stories in a pistol like that? You know, you you would not hit the target, right? I'm pretty sure, you know, you need rifles to start uh, getting accuracy. But yeah, no, it was it was. And of course, people running in front of people shooting guns and stuff. I'm just watching this going, okay, that is the worst staged running gun battle I've ever seen in my life. And it's ridiculous to begin with. But then beyond that, it's just staged so badly. But I was looking at that scene going, oh, yeah, okay, Kolchak's at the scene. He's going to witness them beating everybody up and performing superhuman feats. He's not going to get any good pictures or they're going to take the camera away from him, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And, yep, no, I'm uh, episode – or adventure three and I'm – I'm tired of that exact same formula. So that is, uh, I'm, I'm completely, I'm completely with you there. Um, it's not a spoiler that not every creature that is in the night stalker is basically this exact same pattern. So there, there you go. But you know, as probably as well as uh, anyone that if you look at, supernatural uh supposed supernatural creatures ghosts witches zombies werewolves uh you know any of those they're all going to be bulletproof i mean <laughs> that's that's kind of the whole point because if we could just shoot them and kill them then they wouldn't be a threat <laughs> so i mean there that's you know, likely to happen but, again, I would well, guess, yeah. but hopefully not with not in the same way. Uh, they might be that. 
sort of bulletproof, but you know, silver bulletproof for for werewolves. Exactly, or exactly, exactly. Common um, bullets for vampires. Yes, and or electricity for Jack the Ripper because um. That was a little bit nineteen oh eight. The electric chair. That's why he did actually say it. Uh, it was it was very poorly, uh, very very poorly communicated. But when he was recounting some of the Ripper stuff earlier in the episode, he did mention he did mention one in New York who went wild and killed a bunch of people escaping or something like that. And then later on. He started that phone conversation and they came up with a 1908 and he said, 1908, the year they started using the electric chair, the Ripper in New York. Oh, and oh yeah. I, I thought it they didn't put I, it together very well for the audience, I thought. But no, I, I got that and I thought they established that he was afraid of electricity quite well because they had that rather convenient electric fence that he ran into too. So mm-hmm. that was set up, but I'm still completely at a loss why... The only thing that should defeat Jack the Ripper should be electricity. I agree. <laughs> I agree. It doesn't, you know, and again, there's no lore here. With a werewolf, yeah. silver bullet, silver club, silver weapon, we have that, we have that built up in our, in our common mythos yeah. uh, as we go. You, you might play with it, you know, as, as like... Uh, the X-Files episode of the thing. I don't think they used the silver bullet to kill him off there at the end. But, you know, but the first thing you think of when you think of a werewolf is silver bullet. And the first thing you think of in the vampire is, you know, coffin, nighttime, bats, sleeping in dirt. I mean, the crosses. I mean, those are just the things that come out. Authors have played with them over the years and changed them and twisted them and 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 done interesting things with them. But if you come back to the original, uh, and 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 I hate to say this because I'm messing up my own theory. Well, I'm not exactly messing up my own theory. Much of what we as popular culture think of as the canon for a werewolf, for example, comes from the universal horror films of the 30s. So, I mean, not saying that silver wasn't a thing that in some cases was effective against were-creatures, but it is the 1930s Universal film where they came along and said definitively that's what it is that caused it to be cemented in the the, the psyche of people that when they think of werewolves, they think of silver bullets. But fair so, enough, um, anything after that is has that to draw on. That's right. what people think. And that was like the first really big pop, pop culture thing with when you get into movies and you start really you know novels were a little bit were very popular and and early but it wasn't until you know barney the vampire the the penny dreadfuls was incredibly popular uh during late victorian times i want to say uh pre-dracula dracula was you know a, a novel popular but not necessarily groundbreaking but when you make the bella lugosi movie you cement the image of what it is to, to the, the people because you've now visualized it for them. It's not just in their minds and it's, you know, this is the way it is. It, it, it has that authoritative kind of uh, mythos to it. And it, I, 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 pre- I very much appreciate, like when we were talking about Ultraviolet, uh, that uh, I was going to say Ultra World there for a second. I don't know, Ultraviolet, um, that we were able to, um, you know, see them play with that. A little bit 
and and you know try to do this scientific thing and say well what actually really is is going on here so um yeah or at least or at least how to do that how does it work yeah well i'm i'm starting to get that uh, you know he's a reporter and he is i think more interested in getting to the bottom of it i find it interesting that he continue in this episode i'm not even sure he all right he clearly laid a trap for the ripper Mm -hmm. so the question was was he trying to kill the ripper or was he trying to have protection for himself while he went in and investigated it's like is it a fallback trap or was it always his idea to lure the thing out there and kill it see whereas with a vampire we know he was prepared to go in and kill yeah and in the night strangler i think he did that out of desperation so i'm going to die and i'm just gonna take this guy with me my impression here was that he was willing i don't know i don't know whether because he was basically going in to rescue jane plum and he was willing to kill i would have thought if if it was necessary to do that if if the option had presented itself to to capture him or if that was that was something he'd hoped to be able to achieve i don't know but yeah it's quite an elaborate thing to set up you hmm. have to go to the all night electrical supply place <laughs> buy, buy all that stuff then come out and and set it all up and <clears throat> prepare it was it was quite elaborate considering uh what was going on now one thing i did like and and I'll put this to Darren McGavin. Um, I, when he was there in the closet and the Ripper kept, you know, putting his cloak and stuff in and out of the closet, I really believed that Darren McGavin was going to pee his pants <laughs> in fear. Um, and I, and I, I get that. Most heroes in a TV show are going to be able to sit there and bite their lip and stoically hold that until that's over or until he's actually discovered. But the fact that he actually freaked out in terror and ran, I, I liked that. I, I appreciated that yeah. character because I sure as heck would have. <laughs> like, you, you just can't have that guy brushing his arm practically against you three or four times and, and not. The, the human body just is not going to stand that kind of... <laughs> You know, if he wasn't just <laughs> panting like that, at, at least the the bug out, I, I did appreciate it. Um, it's, you know, worst possible situation, but <laughs> uh, I guess he, it worked for him in the end. But, um, yeah, I, I, I did... Uh, I did appreciate that. What else is there anything here? Well, um, there's, the, there's the, the one big mystery in this episode... The thing that's really getting to me. Who put the kettle on? That is that. Uh, yeah. Uh huh. Uh huh. That's because. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you, okay, go, I, you, you go into you go into a house. The kettle's boiling. What do you conclude? I would conclude there's someone in the house, right? Yes, I would conclude because that. you don't put the kettle on and then come back later and the kettle's still boiling. I mean, well, okay, so let's let's uh, let's let's play Chicago, nineteen seventy four. This Jack the Ripper guy is obviously a Brit because Jack the Ripper, uh, and you know we we don't they don't know a whole lot about tea in the United States ever since that Boston Tea Party. So yeah, maybe the audience didn't realize that a tea kettle actually 
you know, you, somebody has to put it on, <laughs> and then the water kettle. boils off. How did you make coffee in the 70s? Uh, coffee kettle. <laughs> <laughs> it's a different, a coffee percolator. It's a, it's a different thing. Well, a percolator, yeah, but... That's how... Would you have not had... I don't, I don't, I'm not going to, I'm not going to yeah, uh, yeah. get into the question of coffee, but I would have, I would have expected that the signal that a boiling kettle gives the viewer is there's some, there is someone in the house. In the house. So I agree. The, there's, so, I... there's someone else who is alive in the house who either uh, gets burned to death um, or, you know, no, I can't think of anything else. They... No, no, it's, it's terrible. It's a terrible mistake. Um, and there's another one. Kolchak goes to meet the woman, uh, the old woman, checks out the house, goes over to the house, does uh, a little bit of uh, investigative damage. Oh, sorry, putting his foot through the... <laughs> which, you know, how does that work? Is it is it Jack the Ripper so light on his feet that he doesn't fall through that porch every time he comes into the door? But I okay, you just need to know where the, where the joists are so you put your feet in the right places. Uh, okay, well, it's a, but he puts his foot through the door. Uh, he uh, tosses a couple pebbles uh, at the windows. He breaks a window. He satisfies himself that no one is home. And then he leaves, drives off in his car, goes to the all-night electrical supply <laughs> house, which could be, for all we know, 45 minutes away, wakes the guy up, buys the stuff, drives all the way back to the house, and does not bother to check if he's come home at all. He just pulls up and starts hooking stuff up, then breaks a window yeah. and breaks into the house. And that part, I was just screaming at the TV. It's like, he's obviously there now, you idiot. And then you hear the tea kettle, and you're thinking... <laughs> Because obviously what, ha what happened was someone came by, saw the broken windows, broke in, put the kettle on, Blown. broke out again, out and again. disappeared by the time Kolchak broke in. That must be it. And so after Kolchak does that, then the Ripper comes back. Now, the, the alternative is, because the Ripper is carrying a package, which I just kind of naturally assumed was filled with kidneys. <laughs> but, but, you know, maybe not. Maybe he just nipped out to the corner uh, 7-Eleven. To get some milk for his tea. And it's just Kolchak just got incredibly lucky that, that the Ripper came home while he was gone and then left again while All he right. was gone. All right. But uh, <laughs> I really want to know what was in that package that the Ripper was carrying. That was, that was the mystery that really wanted to get to me. It's like, what is he got in that package? Is that, is that the, the results of his crimes or is that just the incredible mundane things of life? Does, does he have to eat? Is is his murderous kidneys all he needs to stay alive forever? I, don't, I, don't I I'm know. I'm going to buy your milk for the tea. That's that that goes with putting the kettle on. He nipped back, put the kettle on, went out for the milk. Yeah, came back. Said, "Oh, tea's gone." Yeah, no, I'd have I'd have turned tail and left the second I heard the tea kettle. And uh, I guess maybe when you hear it whistling. And, and so this might be the difference. I would say probably the, a, a fair number of houses in the 70s in the United States did not have tea kettles. And coffee, coffee pots don't whistle. So uh, they percolate. They make the, the burbly noise. So walking into the room and you hear a whistling noise, you might not immediately know that was a tea kettle. I, I'm not going to go out there and say 
walk in the door. Hey, tea kettle, get out of there. It's like, what is that whistling noise? Nonetheless, what is I, that whistling says, noise? Get out of I'm there. Not, I'm not. <laughs> you, you, so, okay, you may not, you may not understand that the way, the way a, a tea kettle works, or kettle, or, or sounds, as we call yes. them in Britain, is uh, I see we, yeah, the, yeah. you light the gas underneath it, it boils, the steam vaporises, and the pressure exiting through a whistle makes the noise. So... Kolchak doesn't know that, okay? He comes in, Possible. he sees the thing on the stove making a noise, and he doesn't he understand see. the significance of it. But yeah, there's I a agree. thing on the stove. There's a, there's a, it doesn't matter whether it's a tea kettle or a pan of anything. I mean, the stove is lit. Someone right. doesn't have something cooking on the cooker and go out. I, I, I agree. It was badly. <laughs> it's right. It's like it, you... You should be – I don't know if it was intended to make you believe that the that the shoes underneath the drapes were the ripper or not. Well, at least you it go, would be a bit more logical. You know, you put the kettle on, then you go and stand behind the curtains and wait for it to boil. And then when it boils, you stay there. Yep. <laughs> and, of course, assuming that you think it is a mad killer who's – super strong and kills in seconds uh, and shreds people up. Uh, the first thing I would do is to walk over to the thing that I thought was him and lift the curtain up to look at his shins. Kolchak, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. what are you thinking is going to happen if that really was him? That that's, that's poor. That's poor writing and direction because nobody would do that. You just, you wouldn't. If you thought that was him behind the door, You'd empty you the kettle onto the, the shoes. Yeah, or you'd, or you'd, yeah, that's actually not bad. I would pick up the kettle and then I would start exiting the room. I would not go up to it to find out if that's the guy. But apparently Kolchak is fearless, except we are proved later that he is not because he freaks out in the closet. So, yeah, yeah, no, I, 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 I fully agree that that is a, a flaw in the story designed to build tension uh, and, uh, at which, the creepy house does do a fair job of building up a, a sort of the music, the, 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 the darkness, the dirty house. It's, it's, a, I'm not scared or behind the sofa or anything, but it's, it's in that respect, it's put together so that you do have a little bit of shock value and a little bit of, um, when's he going to jump out? When's he going to jump out? And I think that might be it. The kettle is there to tell the audience that the Ripper could jump out at any moment on Kolchak. And Kolchak is just supposed to look like an idiot. For Which not... would be fine if they didn't then show him coming in through the front door. Right. Right. If he'd been in the house uh, in another room or something and Kolchak had just gotten incredibly lucky that he hadn't noticed that he'd broken a window. Uh, yeah. Uh, that was... Uh, that was it. And then the 70-year-old shoes. It's funny it's funny that they should mention these 70 year old shows i have two i have two shoe stories to tell you the first is <laughs> shoe related stories i was just looking at a pair of red wing shoes that i have that i wear a lot and they're you know it's a quality shoe uh type thing it's not your supermarket or department store shoe but it's a you know it's a, it was a quality shoe and i've had them for several years and i was looking them over and looking at you know, these aren't going to last much longer. 
the the bottom's worn from actually walking on them, and the you know the threads are beginning to go. And maybe I could take them to a uh, uh, um, cobbler. Uh, yes, there we go, cobbler, and and get them fixed up to a point. But you know, it's just not not really practical. It'd make more sense to go buy another pair of shoes. Uh, so when this guy says his that pair of shoes is seventy years old, like he must not go out much because. <sighs> They would be worn out. I mean, you have to buy new shoes uh, in this period, unless his shoes, like him, are immortal shoes. <laughs> in which case, then why did they get burned up? And he only managed to salvage one. So that was that was one. But as a counterpoint, I'll tell you this story about my great uncle, because people love my family stories on this podcast. My great uncle <laughs> was in World War One. He was in the trenches in in. World War One, and uh, like many people in World War One, he got flat feet from the appallingly bad military issue shoes, and this uh, gave him problems for the rest of his life. And I remember him recounting this to me how he had because he had some exciting stories to tell. Let me tell you. <laughs> I would stop by their house on the way home from school and his wife would give me cookies and, uh, and you know, he would, he would tell me stories about the war uh, or, or more importantly, he'd tell me stories about after the war and his, his feet. <laughs> <laughs> but he found this pair of shoes that really worked for him in like 1937. And he bought this same pair of shoes for about 10 years. From the same place. I can't remember what store it was. And he came in and he bought a pair. And the guy told him, oh, yeah, we've discontinued those. And so he bought every pair they had oh, in the yeah. store. In his say, it's very sensible. And so into the 1970s, from the 1940s, he was still wearing those shoes because he had... He kept pulling a new box out every few years off the shelf to to use these shoes. So I suppose that if the Ripper had some sort of a foot problem, uh, probably from jumping off four-story buildings, so he probably has flat feet, because uh, I, I guess that's one way to get them. I, and, I just think it's a, it's a normal way to go. I mean, that's me in trousers, really. If I find a pair that's long enough and I actually like I'm not going to buy just the one, for goodness sake. Oh, no, I don't, just, I don't buy just one, but, I mean, he had, like, 20 pairs. <laughs> he, he had a closet that was – he showed me this closet, and it was stacked with these boxes. I'm like – Well, that's... if the shoe fits you now, it's going to f- still fit you in, well – 40 many, years. How, I should say how that many was, lives. That was about that time. So it would have been about 30 years after he bought them all, I would guess. <laughs> just – uh, at the time, it's like, okay, uh, of course, when you're however old I was at the time, 10, 11, 12 years old, when he was telling me this, uh, you know, I would have to buy new clothes every every six months because I grew out of everything. So maybe maybe had I been listening to his story when I was 40, I would be thinking, yeah, all right, fine. I could have, if I wish I'd bought, in fact, the funny thing is the shoes that I um, am wearing out they don't make anymore and i'm really bummed about it that's why i've hung on to this pair for as long as i have it's like i liked that pair of shoes it's like my third set there you go (laughs) they don't make them anymore (laughs) but i would not have gone and bought 20 pairs it just would not have occurred to me so maybe two if you had you wouldn't have this problem now it's true it's true (laughs) 
Ah, uh, uh, well, these wonderful shoe-related stories. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that is all I have on on the Ripper. Um, and I'm, I'm hoping that uh, the next episode, the zombie, I wonder what that's going to be yeah. about, will we'll be... Um, um, will be better. Yes. I think, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, the zombie at 1974 is before Night of the Living Dead, the the, yeah. the first movie. So... The Romero um, movie, which I have not seen, I have to admit. Um, I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of zombie film. I, I you know, I like the whole... 1968, actually, the original. Oh, uh, well, can't so escape is, the influence, then. Can't have escaped the influence. That's right. Well, I have some interesting things to, about, to say about zombies and zombie lore next time. There's always fa- I don't like zombie stories like Walking Dead and all that stuff. I just it doesn't it's never really grabbed me. But there's some interesting things about it. So I guess we'll, we'll see if they explore those things uh, in the next episode. Simon, thank you. It's been a pleasure as always. <laughs> and listeners, I do hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. Fusion Patrol is a Lone Locust production. Like us? Please consider becoming our sponsor at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. We'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review on iTunes. Stop by and visit us at our website, fusionpatrol.com. Search for us on Facebook under Fusion Patrol. Check out our Twitter handle at Fusion Patrol. Or just send us an email at feedback at fusionpatrol.com please come join the conversation. Our music is Fight the Future by Amberwolf.